0: Hello and Happy New Year from all at The Lancet. I'm Richard Lane on Friday, January the 4th, 2008. The death penalty may not sound like the cheeriest way to start off the new year, but it does remain an important health and human rights issue, especially in North America. In a moment we'll be speaking to The Lancet's North American senior editor, Faith McClellan, to find out more. But before that, a quick look at some other highlights in this week's issue of The Lancet, dated January the 5th to the 11th. And some good news in this week's issue in relation to the treatment for severe pneumonia in developing countries and also about the long-term efficacy of chemotherapy for oestrogen-resistant breast cancer. Starting with pneumonia, which kills 2 million children under the age of 5 years every year. That's almost 4 children every minute. Current WHO guidelines state that treatment of non-serious pneumonia, such as fast breathing among children, can be treated at home with the use of antibiotics. But in the case of severe pneumonia, where children have lower chest indrawing, treatment should be done at the hospital setting, again with antibiotics. In a study in this week's issue, researchers from Boston University School of Public Health assessed over 2,000 children under the age of five with pneumonia in seven areas of Pakistan, And what they found out was that with children with severe pneumonia who had been randomised for treatment at home, fared no worse than children admitted to hospital, i.e. under the current WHO guidelines. Indeed, of the five deaths that were reported in the study, only one of the deaths occurred at home. The other four occurred in the hospital setting. Authors of an accompanying comment are enthusiastic about the findings of this study. They say the finding that oral treatment outside the hospital setting is efficacious is a milestone and should change the management of pneumonia among children in developing countries. Good news also for women with estrogen-resistant breast cancer, that is, women with breast cancer who cannot respond to hormone treatments such as tamoxifen. This research article documents the work done by the Early Breast Cancer Trialist Collaborative Group, headed up by Professor Sir Richard Peto at the University of Oxford in the UK. This is longitudinal research and involved the reanalysis of data from 6,000 women with oestrogen-resistant breast cancer who started receiving chemotherapy as far back as the mid-1970s, although on average they started to receive chemotherapy in the mid-1980s. And what they found was that older chemotherapy was effective in reducing breast cancer recurrence, breast cancer mortality and death from all causes. Although the overall magnitude of the reduction in mortality was not great. However, it's worth bearing in mind that this is a reanalysis of the use of older chemotherapeutic agents, and the authors comment that once data becomes available for the long-term use of more modern chemotherapeutic agents, the improvement in survival should be even greater. And interesting findings from a small study showing that antipsychotic drugs should not be used to treat aggression in people with intellectual disability, although they are often used in this way. And it wouldn't be New Year without the launch of a Lancet series. In this week's issue of The Lancet, we launch a three-part series about preterm birth, still the leading cause of perinatal mortality worldwide. But back to the main feature this week, the death penalty. The death penalty remains a topical health and human rights issue, particularly in the United States, as our North American senior editor, Faith McClellan, explained on the line from New York City.
1: Richard, we're talking about the death penalty in this issue because recently, on December 18th, the United Nations, during a meeting of their General Assembly, voted to abolish the death penalty worldwide. And although that is a non-binding and largely symbolic sort of resolution. It has a lot of resonance with other things, philosophies about the death penalty and legal cases that are going on right now.
0: And in terms of the United States and... I was slightly horrified to see that the United States stands alongside countries like Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, China, and Sudan as to a country that still can invoke the death penalty and that an incredible 36 states within the United States can still invoke the death penalty. It is particularly relevant though, isn't it, particularly because of this ruling in New Jersey?
1: That's correct. In December also, right around the time of the UN vote, the New Jersey legislature, which is controlled by the Democrats, I believe voted to outlaw the death penalty in that state. That's the first time a state has outlawed a death penalty in about 40 years. So it was a highly significant move.
0: Also, in terms of what the U.S. Supreme Court is doing, I think you say they're chipping away at the death penalty at that level. What could the U.S. Supreme Court actually achieve in terms of uh, the death penalty?
1: Well, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear three cases, at least three cases, related to the death penalty in this Supreme Court term. 2007-2008. So rulings are expected on the constitutionality of lethal injection specifically and whether or not that form of execution contravenes the Eighth Amendment to the Constitution, which forbids cruel and unusual punishment. Because there have been a number of recent concerns about lethal injection as a technique for the death penalty. A number of of states have put on hold all of their death penalty cases. And in some cases, it is uh, pending the resolution of this U.S. Supreme Court case. If the Supreme Court were to declare the practice unconstitutional. Uh, That would be, as I believe I titled the editorial, the death knell for the death penalty in America.
0: But in terms of why the death penalty should be abolished, this goes back to a resolution back in 1948 by the United Nations, and this is largely about health and human rights. Just in terms of health and medicine, what are the major issues for the death penalty, both in terms of what actually happens to people who are put to death and also the medical staff involved in execution?
1: Well, those are the two big questions. Number one, is the procedure itself cruel, and inhumane in that it causes a lot of suffering. There was a case in Florida, which I referred to in the editorial, of a guy who was being executed, and it took 34 minutes for the technicians who were trying to find IV access, and then the drugs didn't seem to be working. And so for 34 agonizing minutes, this guy was dying a really horrific death. So there have been a lot of questions, not only in the medical community, but amongst ordinary citizens about whether or not that constitutes the sort of act that a reasonable democratic state would perform. So that's one issue. But the other issue is about the involvement of medical personnel in executions. The American Medical Association forbids doctors to participate in any way in state-sponsored execution. In fact, we know that that is occasionally done throughout some of the states. So these are two important considerations for the health and human rights aspects of the death penalty.
0: And another point that I found really interesting was that one of the reasons, although hopefully not the only reason that the state of New Jersey are trying to repeal, if you like, the availability of the death penalty was one based on cost grounds.
1: Oh, yes. Well, I mean, it it seems a bit amusing. But actually, in terms of public policy, it is an important question. Is it more cost-effective to execute people or to keep them in prison for the rest of their lives? And there's this tremendous sort of common belief that execution is a lot cheaper. Well, it's not cheaper because a death penalty sentence triggers all kinds of automatic appeals. And people will spend years and years on death row in case after case after legal case. There is a cost consideration. But I'd like to point out, Richard, two other really important things that I think, you know, trump, of course, the cost consideration. One of those is that a lot of people are being exonerated of crimes for which they have been convicted on the basis of things like DNA evidence. I mean, the state is executing people, I mean, the state with a capital S, the state is executing people who are not guilty. And this has given ordinary people and policymakers throughout the United States tremendous pause. The second thing I'd like to point out is another great often used argument for the death penalty is that it is a deterrent to other criminals. Unfortunately, all the evidence is to the contrary. The states that have the most people on death row also have the most number of, of murders committed. So it is not a deterrent. It has been proven over and over again not to be a deterrent. And thirdly, I think a lot of ordinary Americans have started to become deeply opposed to the death penalty. You see it in polls that the number of people who don't approve of the death penalty is going up. As long as they feel there is some other very serious recourse, such as life in prison, without the possibility of parole. I would predict that's where most of the country is headed in this coming year, 2008.
0: Faye, thank you very much. And just to recap, clearly the biggest, if you like, impending issue is whether the US Supreme Court can actually do something. Because if they can pass a judgment against the use of the death penalty, then the implications of that could be enormous.
1: If the Supreme Court rules that the death penalty violates the Constitution, that it is in direct opposition to the Eighth Amendment, which forbids cruel and unusual punishment, that's it for the death penalty in America. It won't be able to stand after that.
0: Faith McClellan on the line from New York City. Well, many thanks for listening to the first podcast of 2008. Happy New Year once again. We'll see you next week.